This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com if you're a loser tune in and you'll be a winner it's the moranalytics podcast talking buffalo sports yankees wwe 80s music and pop culture and now here's your host patrick moran Welcome one, welcome all, welcome to episode 159 of the Moranalytics podcast presented today by our friends over at Paul Cellular. Today is Tuesday, October 8th, 2019. Thank you very, very much for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. What a fantastic weekend of sports this just was, ain't it? Well, I mean, maybe it wasn't a fantastic weekend of sports for you, but it certainly was for me. Buffalo Sabres, 2-0, win their first two games to start the season. That game on Saturday night, that home opener against New Jersey, I watched the entire thing on television. That was awesome. That was a lot of fun. I can't believe I'm saying this, especially just a couple games into the season. I'm not used to saying this, but the Buffalo Sabres look like they're going to be a fun hockey team this year. That was great. Notre Dame won huge. My son's high school football team won big. They won 41-0 on Friday night. I was in the stands for that. That was a lot of fun to see. Of course, got the New York Yankees, Houston Astros, a collision course, ALCS. That's going to be awesome. Speaking of awesome, I mean, you got the Buffalo Bills. That's the biggest thing of all. 4-1 after five games. Incredible. So impressed with this team right now. They go down to Nashville. As apparently half of Western New York went down to Nashville as well. And they put it on, at least defensively, they put it on the Tennessee Titans. They win 14-7. Again, they're 4-1 and they're legitimate playoff contenders at this point as far as I'm concerned. No question about it. Coming up on today's episode, I'll be talking with Aaron Quinn from Cover One. We are going to completely breakdown Sunday's game. We'll talk about Josh Allen. We'll talk about Duke Williams and the huge impact he made in his NFL debut. We'll talk about the defense. I mean, what more is there to say about them though? What an elite group that defense is, ain't it? And we'll hit on some things that are not clicking on all cylinders, mainly the offensive line. So me and Aaron break down plenty of stuff when it comes to Sunday's game and the Buffalo Bills as they are, again, 4-1, heading into a very much-needed bye. They need time to regroup physically. They're kind of getting beat up right now. And then they got Miami coming after the bye. So very likely that this team is going to end up winning five of their first six games. And I'll tell you this, you can't play yourself into the playoffs after just five games, but I feel like you could play yourself out of the playoffs. And I don't feel like it's too early to start to lock in a little bit on where we could see the Bills going. We're, here's where we can't see the Bills going. They're not winning the AFC East. I mean, you got to be realistic here from the opening snap of week one. We've always said best case scenario, realistic best case scenario, that the Bills could become a legitimate wildcard team. Well, here we are, and they are. And again, you can't make the playoffs in five weeks, but I think you could play yourself 
out of the playoffs in five weeks. And several teams in the AFC have already either completely done that or they're on the verge of completely doing that. You go to the AFC East, Miami, New York Jets. See you later. Bye-bye. They're done. You go to the AFC West, the Raiders. They're 3-2, and two actually. So they're very much record-wise in it, but I still, I don't buy that. I think it's a matter of time before they fade out. Denver's 1-4. and four. See you later. The LA Chargers, they're only 2-3. and three. I mean, I like them. I think they got a good team. But 2-3, and three, that's not a very good start for them. They're going to have to get really hot pretty soon if they want to be in that mix. You go to the AFC North, you could see you later, Cincy, you're 0-5. See you later, Pittsburgh, you're 1-4 with no quarterback. They're done. And then in the AFC South, the team the Buffalo just beat, Tennessee, I don't like them. They're 2-3. and three. I'm not a big Marcus Mariota fan. I don't think that offense is that good. They're an average team. They're a team that's going to probably win seven to eight games, maybe nine at the absolute most. That's their ceiling as far as I'm concerned, winning maybe nine games. And you can say ditto for Jacksonville. They're two and three, and I kind of feel the same way. I know this Minshew mania thing is a lot of fun, but at the end of the day, Jacksonville's a seven, eight win team, maybe nine at the very most. So I feel like all those teams that I just mentioned, except maybe the Chargers, are not going to be relevant in the playoffs. In fact, some of them almost are mathematically eliminated already. So you look at it this way. That leaves the Buffalo Bills. That leaves the AFC North, whoever doesn't win that division between Baltimore and Cleveland. I think those are the two best teams in that division. And then Houston and Indy in the AFC South, whoever doesn't win that division. Those are three teams right there, including Buffalo. And then if you want to add the Chargers into the mix, that's probably four teams that are competing for two wildcard spots when it's all said and done. And the Bills have put themselves in very, very good position early. So I like it a lot. By the way, coming up on Friday's episode, I mentioned earlier, Bills fans traveling down. I'm going to be speaking to a handful of Buffalo Bills fans who made that journey from Western New York down to Nashville this past weekend. Get some takes from them on their experience, what it was like being down in Nashville, some of the sights and sounds that they saw being at the stadium, which again, seeing it on television, seeing a lot of the videos on Twitter over the weekend, it just looks like it was an incredible time. So I'm sure those fans will have some really good stories. And I'll also be talking to Chad D. Dominicis from Die by the Blade, managing editor there, covers the Buffalo Sabres, of course. We'll be talking Buffalo Sabres a much more in-depth on Friday's podcast. I mentioned earlier, they're off to a really good start. A lot of fun to see. That Saturday night game against New Jersey, I contemplated going out. I'm so glad I didn't. That was a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Chad and hopefully the Sabres can keep it going just like the Buffalo Bills are right now. Again, if, if you're a Buffalo, forget, I mean, I mentioned the Yankees. I mentioned the um, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Obviously, you don't care about my son's football team, but just being a Buffalo sports fan right now, it looks promising. I think the Bills are very much for real. And who knows, man, maybe the Sabres are too. So one real quick thing here too, and then I'm going to get into my segment with Aaron Quinn in today's podcast. I did start on YouTube. I've said I'm going to be doing this for quite a while. Now I finally did it on our YouTube channel, Moranalytics Podcast. I've started a Moranalytics Podcast Extra. It's completely separate from this podcast. And what it is, is exclusive audio content that you will only find there not going to find it on this podcast or anywhere else. And quite simply, what I'm doing is producing audio content at all different times. I'm going to be reacting to some Buffalo Sabres post-game stuff. I already did something right immediately found, even before I talked to Aaron, I had some thoughts on the Bills win over Tennessee. I'll be talking some wrestling, some podcasting stuff, basically anything that I want to do on there with no rhyme or reason. I'm just going to when I have the opportunity and the motivation to record something, I'm just going to do it on that channel. And again, that content, you're not going to hear anywhere else. So before anything else, go to YouTube. Next time you're on the internet browsing around, head off YouTube, type in Analytics Podcast. There's a red subscribe button down just below. Make sure you hit that and the little bell right next to it. And you'll get notifications when that new audio, exclusive audio content is released. All right, now that I got that out of the way, let's deep dive into some Buffalo Bills talk. And to do that, I got with me my man Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Let's do it. 
All right, I'm now joined by Aaron Quinn from Cover One. What's going on, bro? How you doing? By the way, dude, I don't know how much, uh, I don't know if you like the other teams that I do, but if you're a fan of sports teams like I am, what an awesome sports weekend this has turned out to be. Well, you're a Sabres fan. Is that what you're referring to, that uh, Buffalo teams are on top of the world right now? Well, I'm a Sabres fan. I'm a Notre Dame fan. I'm a, I'm a Braden River High School fan. My son's team on Friday night, they won 41 nothing. Beat up on, by the way, Marlon Mack, Colts running back, his alma mater. They beat the hell out of them. Uh, I got the Yankees wow. again. Yankees in Houston, Astros. That's looking inevitable, ALCS. So all my teams are uh, they're on top of the world right now, man. It's awesome. Man, you are just living the dream. Dude. I, I got the one team. Uh, I don't follow any of the other. I don't have teams in any sports, uh, but I feel like I'm on top of the world. I couldn't imagine running the table like that. <laughs> well, it doesn't happen too often, especially when the Bills and the Sabres are amongst the teams that uh, that you root for. So definitely been a good weekend. And before, I'll tell you what, we're going to jump right into things here. Plenty to talk about with this Bills game. They're 4-1 now, 14-7 over Tennessee. But before I talk about anything else, I got to start right here, though, okay? Let's say you're a Tennessee Titans fan right now, which, I don't know, that would be kind of erotic, dude. I, I said this earlier in my show. I have been, I've bartended for a very long time. I've been in sports media on and off for a very long time. I've made a lot of friends through the years just because I'm a really cool dude, man. I'm a great guy. I, I, don't think, I think so. I don't think I've ever in my life met an actual, legitimate, true Tennessee Titans fan. Have you? Dude, I've been saying all week. I tweeted it out uh, this week, too. I, same thing. I bartended for years. I've met, swear to God, I've met every other fan base, a fan from that fan base, because I'm always talking football with whoever it is. And I, I really had to think hard. I wasn't just like a joke for a hot take. I really don't think I've ever met a real Tennessee <laughs> yeah. Titans fan in my life. It's crazy. it's crazy. Let's just pretend, though, that we both do know one, okay? Yeah. That fan right now, what do you think they're thinking about Mike Vrabel right now, Okay. Your down is 14 to seven. You got about six and a half minutes left in the game. There's 635 left in the fourth quarter to be exact. You're down 14, seven. Your kicker, Carlos Santos has already missed three field goals. Two of them. One was a 32 yarder. Another one was a 36 yarder. So two of those three that he missed were very short kicks. And I mean, he missed them bad too. And it's fourth and four. You're on the Buffalo 35 and you try to kick a fifth three yard field goal yeah. with a guy who's already missed three field goals and you're down seven with six and a half minutes left in the game. It's not good. It's not. Good. <laughs> yeah. If I, so, but if I'm a Tennessee Titan fan or I know a Tennessee Titan fan, whatever uh, scenario we're playing out, I understand the feeling it's ha- that that scenario specifically. I can't think of a time it's happened to the bills, but the bills have lost games in that type of fashion and just blowing it yourself and shooting yourself in the foot over and over again. So I know the feeling all too well. And I think all the bills fans listening know that feeling all too well of l- losing a game that you probably should have at least been in at the end, a play to win at the end, or definitely should have won based on just stuff. That's just so wonky and out of everybody's control. Um, yeah. And everybody would be calling for the coach's head on bill's Twitter. If that, had happened to us so i know the feeling all too well and it makes me sick uh, i was just gonna say that you know buffalo very well you know buffalo twitter very well you know the fan base you know the media and how things work just imagine being down by seven at tennessee fourth and four in the 35 and steve hoshka for whatever reason he, he's hurt it's just something's not right in his head and he's missed three field goals already you're gonna trot him out there to try to kick a 53 yard field goal even if he makes it you're still down four with six and a half minutes left and a field goal is not even going to tie the game. You're still going to need a touchdown. I just don't get it. That You got Marcus Mariota who, who got owned for a lot of this game. Don't get me wrong. It hasn't been a great quarterback in the NFL, but he's the second overall pick. He's your alleged franchise quarterback. You're not going to trust him to pick up four yards on fourth and four from the 35 against a very good defense. You know, you're not going to get a lot of opportunities to score. That was a good opportunity. I just, I'm at a loss for words. In a good way, obviously, because this did benefit Buffalo. But I just cannot believe that you would not go for it when you're down seven points like that with about six and a half minutes left. It just blows my mind. And if this was Buffalo. Yeah, it's, oh. yeah. yeah you're right. It's wild. It doesn't make sense. I, I guess the only thing I could give him is he's probably not picking that up that third down against the Bills defense anyway. And then you're giving them the ball there anyways uh, or potential for a big turnover or something there. We the Bills defense really did a number on that offense. When you take a look at the whole totality of the game, they broke out a few plays. I think they had more big plays than the Bills did. Um, but I, w- I don't like their odds 
going for it against the defense either. I know that's probably the better move uh, statistically after everything that had happened with that kicker. Um, but I think he was damned if he did, damned if he don't. I don't think no matter what he did, he's not converting. Well, this defense is so good physically, and maybe they're just getting to the point where they're getting in coaches' heads because, yeah. I don't know, it just blew me away. But anyway, again, 14-7, to the Bills win. They're 4-1 going into a bye. I said this last week on my podcast, and I've said it all week on Twitter. I don't know if you agree with me or not, and if you think I'm wrong, let me know. But I thought like this game for me was actually more important than the New England Patriots game. And I'm not just saying that because the Bills won this game and they lost last week. I would still feel the same way. To me, I still don't think, even at 4-1, and one, I don't think they have any realistic chance of winning the AFC East. For me, it's always about the wild card. And these are the kind of games, if you want to make it as a wild card, some of these teams might be there at the end and having head-to-head wins against them, conference record, these are the things that matter. Tennessee, uh, when we play Baltimore this year, maybe if Pittsburgh can somehow get back into it, I'm not feeling very good about that right now. But those are the kind of games I feel like at the end of the year, winning these games are going to be the difference between making the playoffs and going home. Obviously, the Bills answered the bell today. Do you feel that way? To me, this game was more important than last week. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I said it before the Patriots game on our show, and I said it right after. Uh, the Patriots game was more emotional. I had more emotionally invested into that, right? So that's why that one was big for me. I never had the Bills beating the Patriots uh, in any of my predictions or anything like that this year. No Bills fans should. Uh, although after that performance last Sunday, I think that they're right on the cusp of being a team that could probably, you know, they went toe-to-toe with them in a pretty awful game. So you feel pretty good coming out of it. But that was more emotional. If they win that game, then you're emotionally like going to go over the top. And, but as far as losing it, I, you know what, move on to the next one. They lost. I had it as a loss forever anyways, but this one is one of those games when you hear about playoff teams and, and what playoff teams are, you hear about beating teams that you should be winning games. You should win. And then you add in that this is an AFC team. Uh, you look at the other teams in the AFC South, there's going to be a team hovering around that eight, nine win total, um, that's going to be the wild card because they're all going to be close uh, and you're going to have one of those teams is going to be the wild card. So you're fighting with one of those guys. You got to beat them when you have a shot to play them because that that tiebreakers killed the Bills in years past. They've always been in the hunt because they're never going to win the division as long as Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are up there. So you got to win those games. You got to win the AFC games. You got to stack yourself early to get those tiebreakers just in case somebody goes on a run like the Chargers or something like that. There's going to be one of these teams that turns it around, goes on a little bit of a run and contests with the Bills for a wild card spot. Yeah. So, you know, you got to stack those. The AFC ones are super important. So, yeah, I mean, every week in the NFL is a big week, but this one was particularly big as far as the first stretch of their season here. This was the biggest uh, and they went on the road and, and pulled it off. It wasn't pretty, but they did it. And that's all that matters. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think this was the biggest game in the season to this point, for sure. A road game again against a team that's probably going to be right in the mix for a playoff yeah. spot. And let's not kid ourselves. It was an ugly game. Again, we already talked about uh, Carlos Santos missing four field goals. Lots of penalties in the game. Mistakes on both teams, by the way. Not Obviously not just Buffalo, but Tennessee's offense. They were no better. They couldn't. They weren't consistent. They had one really good drive where the Bills defense looked bad. But outside of that, it was yet another really good game for the Buffalo defense. I think it was a penalty, too. I can't remember what play it was exactly off the top of my head. I'm not looking at any notes here. I know the Titans had one big play, but it got called back because of a yep. penalty. But anyway, regardless, my point is this. Ugly game or not, it's not about style points. For me, it's never been. When you're on the road... I don't care, not just football. I feel like this with any sport. When you're on the road, man, you just want to get out of that building, that stadium, that arena with a W. Nothing else matters. I don't care if you win 42 to 7, 30 to 29, or 7 to 6. Just win on the yeah. road because that is ultimately, again, I, is it weird? We're five games into the season now. I am legitimately, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here and, you know, shoot me if I am, I guess, but. I'm thinking playoffs already. I'm already starting to think about playoffs. I'm like, all right, playoff teams win these kind of games. This does not feel like a Buffalo Bills team of recent years to me. I feel like this is the kind, I I was confident that the Bills were going to win this game. I've never been confident in this team pulling out close games before over the last, say, six, seven years, but I'm starting to feel that confidence now. I don't know if you are. Yeah, no, I am. And every week, every victory that they've had has been an ugly game and they've, they've come out and won. And we keep saying on our show and I've talked, we've talked about it here. Uh, it doesn't matter how you win. It just matters that you win. And that's really all that matters. So as far as the it being an ugly game, I don't care about that. And the thing is, uh, this is a really nice piece. I think they're I didn't love the bye week 
being so early when the the schedule first came out. Now that we're here, I'm really happy the bye weeks here. They won four ugly games. Uh, they they pretty much dominated the Giants, but they allowed the Giants to have some life there in the third quarter a little bit. But they won four ugly games. But they won those games. So now you have a good record. You're going into the bye. And the bye week is a self-evaluation week. So you've gotten a lot of the close, ugly games, a lot of mistakes, all on tape. And there's going to be a lot of self-evaluation this week. And it's not going to be fun for a lot of those guys, even though we're 4-1. and one. I think the coaches are going to have a lot to correct uh, and a lot to do. But you've gone through some really good situational football uh, for a team that still has a lot of young players, there's a good amount of vets, but there's still a lot of young guys, and they've gone through a lot of good situational football in real action. I think that that kind of thing is invaluable right now because they, they have the confidence late in a game that if it's close, they can come out and win the game because they've done it, and they've done it in the regular season. Uh, and I think that that's only going to help them as the season goes on because this isn't going to be the last stretch of games that we have close games. Uh, and, and so building on that confidence, I think, is only going to help them later on. And I don't think you're crazy at all for talking playoffs, man. I predicted them as an 11 and five team going into the season. A bunch of people uh, laughed at me on Twitter. And to get to 11 and five, they had to be four and one at the bye, in my opinion. And they've done that part. And uh, so let's see if they can continue it after the bye. Wouldn't shock me if a Bills team lets me down, but I feel pretty confident if this defense, which I think is Super Bowl caliber, can keep them in games. They can sneak out a lot of wins. You talk about the bye being a good time for evaluation purposes. It's also a very good time for healing purposes as well. Mm. Already without Devin Singletary and Teron Johnson the last three weeks, from what I understand, Devin Singletary was very close to being able to play today and it was more precautionary at this point, giving him an extra week of rest. Hopefully Teron Johnson will be back. Those are two pretty significant players. And then today, then during his game, there was lots of injuries. Mitch Morse hurt his ankle. Lots. Cody yep. Ford had a head injury. Trent Murphy had a head injury. Matt Milano had a hamstring injury. Matt Oliver yes. went out for a minute. Exactly. Yes. So we don't know. I mean, we don't know the extent of any of yeah. these injuries right now. And no. there probably will be a no rush update. It's with the pie week coming up for sure. Right. But that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, wary bodies out there right now. I'm especially concerned about Matt Milano if it's a hamstring and he's got to miss time because he is a very, very, very important part of that defense. But yeah, this buy is coming at a perfect time, both mentally for evaluation purposes and definitely physically give him some time to heal. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And Robert Foster, another name that has just been sure. lingering on the injury report since training camp. And I know fans had big expectations for him this year, and he just hasn't even been able to get back on the field with uh, turf toe and now this groin injury that's popped up. Pre-game, though, I felt everyone that had muscle injuries, having seen the video clips of the weather that people were posting, and it's a natural turf, so it's not draining uh, super fast. You know, man, you've played sports out on grass. Uh, anyone that had that muscle lingering kind of tightness injury, I felt like you don't play them uh, in a situation like today because, yes, like we just said, a super important game. You want to win, but you trust the depth that your team's built. you got to go with them. If you trust them enough to be on your 53, you trust them enough to play in a game. So uh, I think you got to leave the guys with the hamstrings and stuff out. I bet Singletary would have played had the conditions been better and it wasn't coming up on a bye week. Just the circumstances, you have the extra week. It's still a marathon left of the season why risk it let those guys heal up to a hundred percent not 98 percent or whatever it is so none of that shocked me uh this other this extra week gives us maybe a chance to get tyler croft back that would be a nice addition uh coming out of a four-on-one bye week to get a guy that the front office did target i know fans are frustrated that tyler croft we haven't seen him he's not going to play but i promise you he's going to be a good addition to this offense uh tommy sweeney's kind of fallen off a little bit he did a lot of stuff in preseason has had a couple catches but he's kind of he's not quite ready i don't think to be getting a lot of the snaps in the nfl dawson knox has had now i think this is his fourth drop this year uh, that he's had he's made some wow plays but he's still learning the game of football he makes some nice blocks but he's still learning I think Tyler Croft is a more well-rounded guy and again this bye week is just going to get us a chance to hopefully get a guy like that back as well so we can get a couple nice additions that we haven't even had yet this year yeah no doubt about it you mentioned Robert Foster I kind of it amazes me a little bit when you look back at last year the clear-cut two best Buffalo Bills receivers were Robert Foster and Zay Jones and I know Foster's dealing with a nagging injury right now but even if he's healthy the way things are going, neither of those guys got any kind of real role in this offense going forward, short of more injuries happening. I want to start quickly here with Duke Williams. I'm going to, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I was a little bit annoyed all week about the talk of so much hype about this guy. And I've heard it so many times when it comes to Bill's receivers, their media darlings, their Twitter darlings, guys like Brandon Riley, guys like the Rick Rogers that fans go crazy about and they never do anything. I sort of kind of felt like that when it came to Duke Williams a little bit. And I said to myself, man, 
Dude's been on the practice squad for a month, okay? And it's not even just the Bills who didn't bring him up. There's 31 other teams around the NFL that had every opportunity in the world to pick him up. And the Bills would have either had to put him on the active roster or let him go. So no team even made a play for him. So the entire NFL sat on this guy for a month. And he was impressive. He was impressive yeah. in Tennessee. He was as good as advertiser, or I should say as good as Buffalo Bills fans hoped he could be. He had four catches for 29 yards. The big touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown. He also had a key third down conversion catch on third and four that set up the touchdown to Lee Smith earlier in the game, too. This guy looks like, I mean, he's not just a name on Twitter. He's not a media darling. He looks like somebody who actually belongs on his field and can really help. But I'm not even talking about the run block. And he had a couple really nice blocks as well. So going back to Zay Jones and to Robert Foster, I'm not sure that they're going to have any significant role on this team for the rest of the year. And again, they were the best two receivers last year. And in the case of Zay Jones, I mean, you talked about this a little bit before the game. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not even on this roster the next time the Bills take the field. I'm, I'm, that's how that's how confident I am right now that I don't think he's got a role on this team going forward. Well, let me, yeah, so let me unpack it a little bit here. Uh, I agree, Duke looked awesome. Um, I, I don't know that he lived up to Bills fans' expectations because he only had the four catches for 29 yards. I think it's a lot Exactly true. He didn't, have nine, he didn't have nine for 177. He's not DeAndre yeah. Hopkins yet. So, yeah, you're right about that. My bad. <laughs> not all their expectations. But, no, he played a nice game, and he did exactly what he's supposed to be a guy that's a reliable target that can get that. I think he'll probably live in the three to five catches a game uh, realm and under, you know, be under 50 yards per game kind of guy right now. I think that's totally fine where he lives in this offense. He gives them a dynamic that they didn't have. I guess my beef is a lot of people. There was um, some rumors unverified rumors out there that this has been in the works and that um, people knew ahead of time that Zay Jones wouldn't be getting these reps and Duke was going to get called up and all this stuff. And if that really is the case, how long have Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott known that he was a substantial or at least a good enough upgrade that you would be using them here immediately. Uh, how long did they feel that? How long did they know that? And and from that point that they knew that, how long did it take to actually get them up to the roster? Because I'm a believer. I'm not tied to any fans. Like I know people think I'm a, a big Zay Jones truther. I don't care if Zay Jones is on this team or not. I want the team to do well. So if you I don't get to see Duke Williams outside of preseason, so I'm not going to be able to really give a good analysis of who he is as a player. Uh, and I think a lot of the fans that saw that are just guessing because they, they've been wrong way more times than they've been right. And I'm I'm wrong way more often than I'm right as well. But we're all guessing about what he could be. But the, the team sees him every week so and every day. So if they really thought he was a better option or an upgrade – if they didn't pull that trigger right away when they they had that thought, then that kind of ticks me off because I, I want the best of the best that you have to offer. And I don't care if, what draft where a guy was drafted, if there's any uh, investment in him, you play the best players. So, yeah, I agree with you, too. I think Zay's days are numbered. I said as soon as uh, Duke came out starting and he really did, he probably played 60, 65 percent of the snaps uh, on offense. Once I saw that, Zay, Zay Jones num numbers almost up they're probably going to try to get something for him and trade i don't think you're going to be able to get anything for him uh, and they might end up having to release him uh here in the next week because you can't carry seven wide receivers and once foster is back i think you have to give him a run with the production that he had last year because i think that they do want that weapon uh that other speed weapon of a guy that's a little bit bigger than your isaiah mckenzie or something like that to line up opposite john brown so i think foster has a role uh but yeah zay's role has become very much redundant with the ability that duke williams has i I feel like Zay's going to be the odd guy out. I want to be clear here, though. I'm not necessarily a Zay Jones hater. I do think he is kind of underachieved. It's not always his fault. I've said this before on my show. I kind of feel like he's, you know, in high school, there's some kids who are probably good kids, but they just always seem to find trouble. Zay yeah. Jones reminds me of somebody who not always through fault of his own, sometimes, in fact, more than just sometimes, quite often, Josh Allen or Barkley has made a shitty throw to him. And just bad, just bad things seem to happen when the football goes towards Zay Jones is what I'm saying. It's yeah. not always his fault. Like I said, sometimes the high school kid, he's not looking for trouble. He just always seems to find it. I kind of feel like that's how it is with him. And when you talk about these other receivers, and this is why, again, I'm not hating on him so much, but Duke, put it this way, Duke Williams ain't going nowhere. What level of success he'll have going forward? Well, we could talk about that for now through eternity, but he's in the lineup. That much I do know going forward, okay? Isaiah McKenzie has a role on this team, and you saw it Sunday. That right. that was a, he's a gadget player. He can he can do some things. Andre Roberts, he's a kick returner. You're right. They're not going to carry seven guys long term. So it's either 
Foster or Zay Jones. I feel like one of those guys are on viral time right now. And given the situation, I just feel like it's Zay Jones, which by the way, here's the other thing too. And this is a topic that I'm not sure I would have asked you before now, but given the way this team is four and one, they're a legitimate playoff contender that much. Anyone, even the biggest Buffalo Bills critics have to say that right now, four and one, you're at least a playoff contender. What about the potential of trading for a wide receiver over the next one or two weeks? I still feel like they can use that like really good receiver. Like John Brown in the first half, he had five catches for 75 yards. Didn't have anything in the second half. Cole Beasley is a good player, but he can disappear for stretches. We can't really trust Duke Williams to be a top receiver right now. But all this stuff that I might have thought was ridiculous. Maybe they trade for an AJ Green or Stefan Diggs or something like that that I thought might have been ridiculous a couple weeks ago. Starting to think maybe it's not so much right now. What do you think? Yeah, first I want to address a little bit. I'm not going to go on a long range here or anything. With what you said about Zay Jones, I think is absolutely correct. I think he's an uh, adequate player. I think he's had some of the worst luck and worst circumstance I've seen really for a guy coming out in his career. He had Tyrod Taylor, who, even though I defended him as a quarterback, was a really below average starter in his time here as Barry, far as the passing. Yeah game goes uh very inconsistent and then he had nathan peterman who's the, probably the worst quarterback in history to ever take snaps in the nfl statistically uh and then he had a uh, kind of a plethora of other guys as it rotated through last year including a rookie josh allen and as much as we like josh allen he's not a very accurate quarterback he's made a lot of bonehead throws uh, when you look at Zay's catchable throws from Sis, it was the worst out of everybody. I don't know why he had the worst, uh, but he's just had a bad luck in your career. But the problem with the NFL is it's a it's, you have to produce, you have to provide production in the league, or you're not going to be around long. Uh, so that's been the problem for Zay. I don't think he's around long either. As far as the wide receiver group as a whole. Um, I get the logic of people wanting to trade uh, for something there. I think that there's some interesting names that either are unhappy and have vocalized that or there's a enough logic to put together and connect the dots that, that this, this person shouldn't be happy. They have an expiring contract. Um, their team's terrible and they're getting at the end of their career. They've got to want out and the Bengals have to be interested in that and get some of the draft compensation. So I get the logic. I get the rumors. But if I'm the Bills, I actually feel pretty good about our wide receiver room. I, I think John Brown's really good. Would I like to have a real number one wide receiver across from him? Absolutely. I think that would make him a more dangerous weapon. But I think he's a good enough, not like Julio Jones type one, number one wide receiver, but he's a good enough number one wide receiver for this offense. I was a little disappointed in Cole Beasley today, but I, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to find his feet in this offense after the bye week uh, and really be the guy, the safety blanket that we thought he would be. Um, and then as far as the trades go, I don't want A.J. Green. He's going to be what he's 31 right now. Mm -hmm. He hasn't been healthy this year. Uh, he's got a huge list of injury history. It, it, it's one of the longer lists I've ever seen. I don't love buying in on a guy that is descending. I want to buy in on guys that are ascending. And I know you want to do it this year and you get him this year, but he's on a rental. I still don't think the Bills are – I think they're a playoff team. I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. And so you're, you're going to trade some assets to get a guy who's really a 12-game rental – um, you know, best case scenario, maybe you can get him for one more year on the cheap and he stays healthy. But really, you're looking at a 12 game year and a half rental. I don't like the idea of giving up assets for that stuff on digs. I really like that. He's young. He's going to cost you a lot of money, uh, but he's young and he's got a lot of room for growth. I just don't think that he gets moved. And I don't think the bills are even really in on it. If I'm the bills right now and I'm sitting at the bye week and I'm looking at all my units, and I'm looking at maybe to make a move uh, to make myself a more competitive team going down the stretch. I'm really looking at Trent Williams and seeing how long are they going to hold on to him and see if I can pry him out or even what's out there on the market to really shore up uh, my offensive tackle position because I don't feel good about the offensive tackle position. I hope Ty Seki gets healthy over the bye and can just solidify the right tackle spot. Something's going on there that they don't feel confident with him in there. I don't know if it's a ling lingering injury or what, but Cody Ford ain't it at tackle and Deion Dawkins. I don't feel like ain't it at left tackle. Uh, and I don't know that that's getting talked about enough. Uh, or maybe that's just my own bias, but I'd be looking to shore that up because today I thought that was the weakest part of the offense was they were getting Josh hit when he didn't need to be hit right at the back of his drop. It's got to get cleaned up. Um, and, and I don't think that we have the guys there that we, maybe we thought we did. That's an outstanding point. If they're going to make a trade during the bye week or sometime before the deadline. That's probably where, they could use help the most, the offensive line. And I agree with you about Ty Inseki as well. Clearly, the Bills aren't sold on him. 
Because Cody Ford, at this point, to me, it blows my mind why he's even getting reps there. I mean, he played right tackle today because Ty Inseki was out of the lineup. But the first month of the season, I just don't know why they're not making this guy a guard. I'd rather him yeah. not play at all this year. I don't care if he doesn't take a snap. I just don't see anything right now that shows that he's a tackle. I can't think of the guy from Tennessee, but that one sack, he just blew by. It was like Cody Ford wasn't even there. And I feel like that's not even one of the better pass rushers in the NFL. It's just going to get worse for him. I just don't think, I think he's a, a circle and you're trying to put it into a square uh, peg and it's just it's just not working out. I think they could absolutely use somebody else on that offensive line for sure. And injuries have yeah. played a role though. I mean, Inseki out didn't help them. Mitch Morris got hurt again against Tennessee. So the injury, Adrian uh, Waddle got hurt before the season started. He was done for the year. He right. Probably, maybe, actually, maybe he starts today if he's healthy. You know, if Adrian Waddle doesn't get oh, hurt. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, the offensive line, put it this way. We always say how much improved it is over last year. But again, I've said this time and time again. What was the bar? If you're going to use last year, that's not a bar to set. The offensive line was historically awful last year. They need to be better. They weren't good today either, especially against the run until the last drive. Then they, you know, they open up some holes for Gore and Yeldon had a really nice run too. But this offensive line is struggling. Yeah, it's struggling and it's and it stinks. And but I think the expectations should have been that we talked about it on your show here a lot that we went from the worst unit to an average to below average yeah. unit across the board. But yeah, I agree with you. the The hard thing about the Cody Ford uh, assessment and the team kind of seems to be forcing him at the tackle position. It's hard for me because this organization with led by Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have done a really good job and it's their team of scouts and, and everybody of finding guys, finding gems and putting them in the right position. And so it's hard to question their ability to scout a player and evaluate a player and, and find out what he does best. Uh, but this Cody Ford thing kind of seems to swim against the tide there a little bit. And I'm, I'm not sure why they're, they're kind of continuing to force that. Uh, I really, I think since the moment he was drafted, he made more sense at guard uh, for me. And I, I don't know if they're going to take the bye week and really, like I said, do that self-evaluation and see that as well and say, all right, now's the time to just make the move. And they don't have to give him the job at guard. Like you said, I don't care if he plays a snap this year or not. If he can't win the job at guard, I don't want him to play there. Uh, and I'm totally okay if he sits. I don't need him to produce in year one. I know everybody wants early production from rookies. I know fans are starting to get frustrated. Ed Oliver doesn't have sacks, and he's not being Aaron Donald yet. Uh, it's okay. This stuff takes time. These guys got to learn their game and get on get their feet on them. But I think Ford has to move to guard. I think it's uh, almost unfair to him at this point to, to leave him out there with the athletic defensive ends of the NFL. I don't know that he's ever going to be able to get out and kick out and guard uh, and block some of these guys. If Harold Landry, who is going to be a good defensive end at some point, he, he projects to be a really good one. He's not elite yet. There's going to be elite guys that toast him. And now you're putting Josh Allen in danger. Uh, and that's really you're spending a lot of money and putting a lot of resources into this offensive line. Do whatever it takes to protect, protect Josh Allen as much as you can. I'll tell you, and it's funny because you might, people might think me and you are hating on Cody Ford. That's not the case at all. We just both think he's playing out of position. I think he could be a good guard. I like him at guard. I think he could be a really good guard. Just play him where he belongs or don't play him at all. You just mentioned Josh. I'll tell you what, man, this might be a record for us. We've been going on for quite a while now. We haven't really talked about Josh Allen's game at all. It's yeah. Usually, that's how we always start out every segment because obviously he's the quarterback and he's the most important player. I stand by, I had to take last week on the, on the show here, and I'm going to stand by it, man. I think the guy's still struggling. He played better today, don't get me wrong, than he has it's certainly against New England and in the second half against Cincinnati. He's struggling bad, though, but having said that, there's just something about this guy that I believe in him. I really do. He had that awful, ugly third-quarter interception again. After a play, which by the way, I got to get your take on this because I've kind of taken a beating on this on Twitter. I absolutely lost my mind during this entire game. That at the point I lost my mind the most was that play. It was the play before the interception. It was third and like maybe two inches. They ran up to the line. Allen did a sneak and they got called for illegal motion because the wide receiver wasn't set. I'm, I want to say it was Duke Williams, but I can't remember off the top of yeah. my head. No, it was either. Yeah, it was Williams or Brown. They were both that wide. My whole point: it's third and a half an inch, man. You ain't got to catch him off guard. It's third and a half inch. Line up, make sure, take a look, make sure your guys are set. Take the ball, move forward a half inch, first down. He didn't do that. Josh Allen, I'm talking about here. To me, people are trying to tell me it's the receiver's fault. 
He should have been set. Maybe he should have, but I don't care, man. Your quarterback's got to look. It's third and a half inch. If it's third and one and you're trying to catch him off guard, it's one thing. It's third and a half an inch, man. Get a half inch. That's what I'm saying. That's on Josh Allen yeah. to me. And then the next play is when he threw the interception at, under duress. Whatever. I mean, we've seen that Josh Allen throw way too many times early on in his career. Do, do you agree with me? Do you think I'm wrong, too? A lot of people on Twitter were beating the shit out of me over this comment. You know, me losing my mind about Josh Allen rushing that snap on third and a half inch or whatever. Do you think I'm wrong? I could be. Well, I don't know. I don't know who's wrong because I don't know how they practice that scenario. It might be one of those things where they're saying to rush it up and get get the guy up there. Uh, I don't know what they're doing, but what I do know is he's the leader of the offense and in all things in life, things roll uphill. Right. And so ultimately, it's Josh's responsibility to make sure guys are in position. So I do agree with you in the sense that it is ultimately if there's going to be blame cast, it is on Josh to look both ways uh, and, and make sure everything's set to go before he goes. But it's a mistake from a young quarterback that I'm willing to live with uh, in that scenario. And luckily, they end up uh, well, not luckily, they do end up getting another play. And unfortunately, it ends up in an interception. The interception I'm also not mad about. I know there are a lot of people on Twitter were super mad about it. I didn't really get a good look at what happened in the defensive backfield. So we'll have to wait a little bit for the all 22 to come out. I think it was a miscommunication uh, in the sense that I think he thought uh either cole beasley or tj yeldon i think we're over on that side i think he thought some of them, one of them was going to do something that they didn't and try to put the ball where they thought they were going to be and that's going to happen man uh in, in live bullets he's not going to become a guy that doesn't throw interceptions all of a sudden when it starts to become the multiple interception games that's where i get frustrated uh with josh allen but if he throws one pick out there a game i really don't care about that um the toxic differential did end up in the titans favor but ultimately josh played a really good game he really did i think it was maybe his best passing game as a pro uh he when he had a clean pocket he stayed in it he tried to make the throws he did a good job getting rid of the ball a couple times he did a good job just taking a sack uh sometimes some we saw the growth mindset that sean mcdermott talks about in josh allen this week and it took him getting concussed like i haven't seen a lot of people get concussed in a long time maybe to realize hey i gotta be smarter with the ball i really have to throw it away uh every once in a while but every once in a while he's still gonna throw a pick even the best of them do so i'm not worried about a uh if he has this kind of day where he's thrown you know just in the box score he's at 70 percent when you do the adjusted completion percentage he's hovering around the 80s uh two touchdowns 220 yards whatever he was for the day i'm not gonna really nitpick that and be worried about that. If anything, I'm really excited that he's showing a trend of growing going into the buy and hopefully he can take that uh, good game, good performance and build on top of that because we really, I don't think, I, I think they're running out of luck as far as the, the horrible games that Josh Allen put up in this first, whatever, five games of the season. Uh, I, I don't think he can get away with too many more of those and the bills become an 11, whatever, 10, 11 win team. You could tell in the first half he was being almost, I, I want to say conservative, you know, getting rid of the, throwing the ball out of bounds, yeah. not trying to make the crazy play. And then, yeah, you know, DNA took over on that one play in the third quarter. That's just what he does sometimes. But here was kind of my whole point. I'm not necessarily beating the guy up. He makes a lot of mistakes, but I also, the compliment I give him is that I, I'm, I feel like no matter what he does, I feel like he's going to have a redemption out there. Like he makes up for what he does. That's bad. That interception, that did turn the game. There's no question about it. Tennessee went down, they scored. You could just feel that game was kind of slipping away. Thankfully, Carlos Santos kind of gave the Bills new life, and they took advantage. And that's kind of my whole point with Josh. He, he redeemed himself. They went down. They took the lead. He threw a nice touchdown, a nice quick slant to Duke Williams. I mean, McKenzie set that up with the 46-yard reply. I don't care how they got down there. My point is, is that I have confidence in this guy, and he's going to find a way to get the Bills to lead. And I said that last week against New England, and some people thought I was being a homer or being stupid. I honestly feel, I don't give a shit how bad he played against New England. He threw four interceptions. He played like shit. But at the end of the day, I still feel like if he did not get hurt somehow, some way, through hook or crook, Josh Allen would have brought that team down the field, and they would have found a way to get in the end zone. Not saying they would have won that game in the last four minutes, but they would have taken a lead, and it would have came down to if the defense could have stopped Tom Brady. I honestly, I feel that way about Josh Allen right now. Dude, and in the drive, I think it was second quarter drive, uh, the touchdown to Lee Smith mm -hmm. on that drive. He came down. It was a nice, decent sized drive. And on the drive, uh, he was five for five and then came down and threw a touchdown. He has done that a number of times this year where it all just clicks. 
for a drive or two, and he just puts the ball down the field and is moving this offense at a pace really that we haven't seen in a long time as far as just putting first downs together, moving the ball. Uh, it could be an 80-yard drive, a 70-yard drive. He's put a lot of those together this year. It's about consistency, right? We got to see him do it more consistently, regularly, and take some pressure off the defense. But I, I don't feel like at any point, like I said, I've, I've said it here, I've said it on every show I've been on, uh, if the defense can keep them close enough, I feel like at any point in the game, Josh Allen can put together a drive from anywhere in the field and get this offense into scoring position. And really, man, I can't remember a quarterback where I felt that way about. I almost felt it a little bit with Tyrod for a while, but then he kind of killed that for me real quick. Um, Fitz had a little bit of him in that, but just was way more inconsistent at it. I, I just feel like Josh Allen's like a gamer, man. I know they, the whole stats is for losers thing uh, came out when he got drafted there by uh, what's his name the draft expert uh kuiper said yeah. stats are for losers this guy's just a winner and some guys just have that instinct and and if he can put some of those five to five drives together a little bit more often and get them down moving the ball man it could be a real dangerous team you call them a gamer i think that's an excellent term defense real quick as we start to wind down here another great game five games now they have not allowed more than 17 points to anybody and it's always, you know, it's always somebody who steps up. Last week, Micah Hyde, I thought, was the best player on the defense. This week, are you kidding me? I'm saying it. Jordan Phillips, three sacks. Dude's becoming a monster. He's went from kind of being just a bottom-of-the-roster guy, a depth guy. This is a dude, man. He's on a one-year deal. He keeps playing like this. He's going to get himself a hell of a payday this winter. He was a beast. He was an absolute beast against Tennessee. Dude, he's a grown man. Yeah. He plays he plays mean and he plays like a he's the biggest guy out there and he's not always the biggest guy out there, but he plays he's mean, man. And this is huge, I think, for the fan base too, because when Harrison Phillips went out, I felt like that was deflating. He's a fan favorite and he was trending in the right direction. Sure. He was providing some pass rush yep. uh on the interior. And that's something you're never gonna get with Star Latoule. And that's something that's gonna take Ed Oliver. He's gotten some pressure, I think, more than fans have seen. Um, but he He's going to take some time to develop. He's not a veteran. Uh, and, and so Phillips getting pressure today, I think, put me at ease at least that we can still maintain some of that interior pressure with this guy. I think he's got it. I agree with you, man. He's out there playing crazy. But I do think the best player, I th- I gave him my player of the game on our podcast, but I, I had to take it away from Tremaine Edmonds. And sure. Tremaine Edmonds didn't have a lot of flash plays or anything like that. Um, stuff that really, besides being the tackles leader, uh, shows up on the, the box score. But he's everywhere, man. He's all over the place. He's getting in passing lanes, swatting passes. He's an elite pass defender already at this age. Yeah. Uh, and, and when he puts it all together and, and learns a little bit more of the intricacy of the game and when to blitz and when to do some of these things, man, he, I, I think he has the potential to be. I, I said it on our podcast today. I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't know how good Tremaine Edmonds can be, but it's better than I anticipated it would be at this point in his career. And not enough people nationally, in my opinion, are talking about it. He felt to me early last year, and this is natural because he's a rookie, but he was kind of being a, re- a reactionary linebacker. Like Preston Brown would rack up tackles, but he never made a play that mattered. No disrespect. Right. I'm not trying to disrespect him, but that's kind of how I felt last year about Edmonds as a rookie and completely understandable. Now it seems like he's playing fast. He's attacking. He is. He's filling gaps really quick. He had a beautiful, it was a key third down. It was third and four, two, and he had a pass breakup, which would have been a first down. He got his hand yep. on the ball, and it was, that, was, that was a very big play in the game. I couldn't agree with you more. Lorenzo Alexander, what a spin move. He had a sack. Trent Murphy was playing really good before he got hurt. You got Daryl Johnson. Yep. He had a sack. It's it's just my point. It's, just, it's not like one. Although Tremaine Edmonds is coming close to becoming that superstar kind of guy. You just said that. But there's not a superstar on this team. It's like every week. Last week, Levi Wallace, too. I, I should have mentioned him. He had an outstanding game in the secondary. This this week, I saw Dean Marlowe make a couple nice plays. Yeah. It just seems like there's someone different. It's always like that next guy in mentality with this defense. It's always somebody stepping up. They forced four three and outs in the first half, six in total. They only allowed four out of 14 third down conversions. I mean, what more is there to say? This is right along with Chicago. And I know Chicago didn't have a great game against the Raiders, but I still say they're one of the best defenses. Chicago, oh, yeah. New England, Buffalo. Those are the three best defenses in the NFL. And if you tell me Buffalo's number one, I think you can make a good case for it. I do think I do think Buffalo's number one. And I, I know that's going to be Homer, but whatever. Say they're in the top three because it's really changing week to week. Right. But 
Patriots, including the game they played against us, have not gone up against any really good offenses um, because they played ours. Uh, So that wasn't a good defensive. It was a good defensive performance for them in the sense that they caused a lot of interceptions against the Bills. Uh, They held Josh Allen in check. But a lot of teams have actually done that. So that's not something that's a a fantastic defensive performance. Uh, The Bills have had multiple really good defensive performances against formidable teams, against decent teams, uh, guys that can move the ball. Uh, and this team just continues to do it. The thing that I think separates them from getting in the conversation is right now they haven't made a lot of the big splash plays there. Yeah. They really haven't gotten to the quarterback until today. Uh, right. They haven't had they've had a few interceptions, but they haven't had the big pick sixes or the fumble recoveries for the big ones that end up on GMFB and end up all over ESPN the next day. And that's when you when your defense starts to do that. It's a lot easier to talk about uh, Khalil Mack. He's going to get monster strip sacks and big devastating plays and things like that. And that's why you always hear about the Chicago bears defense. But I think the bills defense is on par with them. And, and Joe's going to kill me if he ever listens to this podcast and hear this, here's this, but people hate coach speak, but this team and this defense specifically is the living embodiment of the one of 11 that Sean McDermott pounds on every press conference, man. When you watch them play, everybody's doing their job. Everybody's maintaining their gaps. And when you have a defense that's doing that, that's when you go up against the major good best quarterbacks in the world like the Tom Brady's and they don't have a lot to give you because Tom Brady thrives off of finding what you're not doing and finding your weakness and finding who's not doing their job and picking on that person and when everyone's doing their job man it makes it very difficult uh, for really anybody to get anything going for any type of sustained drive you see we've seen teams move the ball we saw it today a couple big plays they they gave up some big plays move the ball but those three missed field goals, that's because the defense held on really good drives and didn't let them go any further. This defense really tightens up. They play their one of 11 and it could be a really special unit, man. And I just hope that the offense gets it together enough to win enough games. But I've been saying this for a long time and I looked at the Bears uh, a couple of a year ago and I said the Bills are one year behind this Bears team. And the Bears went, what, 12 and four last year by playing mm-hmm below average offense, mediocre offense and having an elite defense. And I think that's really the path of the rebuild that the bills have taken. Uh, Obviously we never landed a Khalil Mack. That would have been nicer, Uh, but that's the path they've taken to rebuild this team. And I think that you're going to see similar results here this year in that 10 to 11 win uh, team range. If they can continue to play the elite defense throughout the year. And I'll tell you one more thing about this defense. They feel, I feel like they could do it in a variety of different ways. Last week against the England, they couldn't get to Tom Brady, but they blanketed the receivers. Nobody could yeah. get open. This week against Tennessee, they got after Marcus Mariota. It's a secondary. Maybe they were ripe for some big plays. I saw Jordan Poyer missed a couple tackles. He didn't have one of his best games. Some of the guys out there looked like the potential was there to get beat, but the defensive line and the, and the linebackers just got after Marcus Mariota. That didn't happen against New England. So they get after you in different ways and whatever. I don't care which way you do it as long as the defense is playing well. A couple nitpicks that I had, we already discussed pretty much all of them. Cody Ford playing tackle, the offensive line struggling as a whole. The other thing, and we really don't need to talk about it, but it's worth pointing out, 11 penalties for 78 yards. A couple of them were complete bullshit calls, especially that holding call on Milano. That was terrible. But 11 penalties for 78 yards, that's something that's uh, that'll come back to bite you. The last thing I wanted to do here... I, I'm doing well, this now. I got a Go I got a question for you while we're talking about the defense side. I was just thinking about it earlier today. If What's the up? defense can if the defense continues to play at the rate they're playing and you have now longevity of this defense, which is really hard in the NFL to have a, a defense that's in that top five uh, continuously. Teams rarely stay in that area. Mm-hmm. Does Leslie what, at what point does Leslie Frazier start to get? rumblings of being a head coach again in this league. He's had it in the past. He didn't do a great job as a head coach, but he didn't do a terrible job either. And now he's regained success as one of the top defensive coordinators in the league. We saw Vic Fangio uh, leave Chicago last year after never having had a head coaching job uh, and, and gets a job in Denver. So do you think at any point are we worried that we're going to lose Leslie Frazier? I would be 150% worried if, the trend wasn't going towards finding younger first-time coaches, college coaches coming into the NFL. Obviously, depends on how many openings there are, but you're you're 100% right, man. I am concerned, not 100% concerned, but if they keep this up, he has been a head coach before. Yeah, I'll be concerned, man, and I'd hate to lose him too. Oh, I would hate it. Yeah, that would suck. I know. <laughs> That's how I felt. <laughs> Who's the coordinator? I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. Who went Shorts? to? Yeah. I was yeah. really, I was like legitimately depressed when we lost him. I kind of feel and the same Pettin. way. 
when we lost Pat and I was depressed too. Yeah. Yeah. So here's how I want to end this. Okay. I do yeah, yeah. game balls and game checks and game checks is usually, I, I say up to three players who play terrible and I would take their game check. I'm not going to do that for this game because they won on the road. An ugly win or not, a road game, they won. I didn't hate anybody's game today. Cody Ford struggled, but again, me and you talked about this. I can't really necessarily put everything on him because I don't think he's playing a position that he's best suited to play for. Outside of that, there's nobody on this team, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, that deserves to have their game check taken away. Can you think of anyone? Am I forgetting someone? No. Heath Farwell. Maybe the special teams coordinator. Uh, they played better in the fact that they didn't make any like glaring mistakes, but still a lot of special teams penalties. Uh, and it was one of the things that ticked me off about Danny Crossman. And to see that continuing, I think some of it is uh, consistency with the guys, right? Depth is is really getting pushed right now, uh, like we talked about. So not having all the same guys in is some of it. But man, I hate special teams penalties. So I would take his game check, maybe. Okay. What about on the other end? Here's the rule, okay? We'll be semi-cheap. We're on a budget here, but I have game balls. We could give away up to three game balls, and we're going to give three away because they won on the road. We don't need to discuss two of them. I think Jordan Phillips is a lock, and I think Tremaine Edmonds is a lock. But right now, you got that third game ball. You're sitting in the locker room. Everyone's dancing. They're all fired up. They're all pumped up. Who's that third ball going to go to? I'm literally just thinking about this now as we're taping the segment, so I haven't pre-thought of this. I'm trying to think as I'm talking to you right now. Who gets that third game ball? Uh, as far as box score goes, I would hand it to Josh Allen. But in the moment and what it means to this team, I would give it to Duke Williams. Yeah. I think Duke Williams embodies what Sean McDermott is preaching all the time, earning the right to play. Uh, you hear him say that all the time, kind of doing, coming in and doing your job. He's just doing that. And he finally got an opportunity after battling. It's a great story. He's an emotional human being. Um, he knows what this means having lost it. Uh, and for him to come back and battle and get his first NFL touchdown and get four for four. And it wasn't the biggest day for him. It, it wasn't a great stat day. Um, and if he continues to ever do that, then I'm not like that's not the guy that I want him to become. Uh, but what a big day as far as an emotional and what that means to this team um, as a whole. And, and McDermott preaching that message consistently. I think he would have to give him a, a game ball in that scenario. I agree 100 percent. Duke Williams, definitely a good call there. You just said emotional. How about the crowd? Emotional. Oh, that felt geez. at worst, at worst, that felt like it was being played on a neutral field, if not a Buffalo Bills home game. I mean, they were just as loud when the Titans were on offense as when the Bills were on offense. That's absolutely incredible. You know, I I know the whole, I feel like anyway, the whole Bills Mafia thing is a little bit overplayed. I kind of get annoyed with it at times. Best fans in the world, this and that, the tables, all this, la, 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 la. Yo, they represent though, man. They did. I saw Sal Capaccio's videos, plenty of sports media people were, were showing videos and photos and talking about it. Bills Mafia went down to Nashville and like literally took over that town this weekend. It was crazy. I know. I'm actually really bummed with myself that I didn't go to this game because I, I want to go to a game in Nashville. Nashville's a cool place. Um, and I think it would be a cool this time of year to go. But then once I saw the videos coming out, I really was kicking myself. I went to that Carolina game a few years ago and we were talking about how that was going to be, you know, a huge takeover. And it was there's Bills fans everywhere and it was super cool. But the, the what I saw on social media and you heard over the broadcast in the game was unlike anything I've seen as far as taking over a stadium uh, with a fan base. The, there were still some Titans fans there. They must exist, uh, even though I've never met one in real life. But <laughs> I heard people cheering, uh, you know, when the when the Bills were on offense, people were trying to cheer. And what a fun atmosphere that's got to be. That's really only you only get that in high school. I feel like when you have a crowd that say. 60-40 or whatever, 50-50 perhaps. Uh, and then you start to chant against each other and the crowd gets into it and it's almost a competition within the crowd. You don't get that in NFL stadiums uh, around the league because fan bases travel, but it's pretty casual. You might get, I've seen Pittsburgh maybe get 30% of our seats uh, at an end of the season game, but you never get uh, an, a majority of a fan base coming to Buffalo. Uh, so that was a cool atmosphere and you saw all the players tweeting it out and loving it and encouraging it. So a uh, very cool way uh, for the Bills to show their fan base to the national media because I think a lot of people are talking about that. Yeah, and bro, this ain't like a two and a half, three hour drive on the throughway to Cleveland or even going to right. New York City. This is Nashville, Tennessee, man. It's not a hop, skip, and a jump away from Western New York. It's absolutely crazy. In fact, on Friday's show, I'm really looking forward to doing this, especially because there's no game on Sunday, so I don't have to worry about a game preview. 
I got set up four or five people who travel from Buffalo to Tennessee for the game, and I'm going to have interviews with them, and they're going to talk about their pregame experiences, the stadium experience, and all that stuff. So I'm looking awesome. forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So bottom line here, okay, the Bills are sitting pretty right now, 4-1, and one, going yep. in, like we talked about, a much-needed bye week right now. Uh, coming back, they got Miami in two weeks at home. Then they got Philly at home, Washington at home, so three straight at home. Then they go to Cleveland, then they're at Washington, and then they're back home against Denver, who struggled this year. It's starting to become very feasible to me that Buffalo can end up after those 11 games, because that's 11 games total here, no worse than 8-3 and three going into those last five games. It's very realistic right now for them to go, even if you give them a loss against, say, maybe Philly, and even if you give them a loss at Cleveland, they win those other games. You're talking eight and three going into those last five games. Yeah, I mean, my expectations on eleven win team, and I've been there uh, for a little while now, and they're only uh, proving that to me as we go. And the schedule shaping out real nice. Some of the games that I thought were going to be maybe harder early in the year when I picked eleven and five don't scare me as much right now. Uh, Cleveland still can turn it around at any point and become a really live up to their potential. But so far this year, I haven't seen it, and I think that this defense uh, can keep that the Bills in that game more than I did when the schedule came out. Uh, and Philly's the same way. I don't know what to make of the Philadelphia Eagles, but that was one I think I had as a loss early on in my five losses. And you know what? I don't know that it's a sure thing anymore, but I do think the bills are probably still going to drop a game that they shouldn't at some point this year. You know what I mean? There's still going to be some of that that happens, but I feel pretty confident for the rest of that schedule. I mean, outside of the Cowboys, maybe, but they did just, uh, well, they've had a pretty bad first half this, this weekend, but outside of the Cowboys, I feel like really every team we should be able to at least be in the game, kind of like we were against the Patriots. Um, I don't think that there's any teams in the league that can really just come in and dominate the Buffalo Bills, not the way they're playing defense. Yeah, I agree with you. And then real quick here to wrap up those last five. Yeah, they're at Dallas at home against Baltimore at Pittsburgh. Who the hell knows who'll be quarterback. And then they're at the Patriots. And they got the Jets. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, as we get out here every week, I always ask you, what do you got going on with Cover 1? going to kind of flip the script a little bit because I know what you got going on with Cover 1 because guess what I did over the last, say, week and a half or so? I joined the Cover 1 Slack channel. Oh, so yeah, I've been popping in there a little bit with a couple takes here and there, but more than it's anything busy. else, I'm kind of lurking around in there. Yo, that shit is fun. I had it on for a lot of the Bills-Tennessee Titans game. And I was Did having you? a good time. Some good takes in there, man. I'm really enjoying that a lot. The Cover One Slack channels, that's the shit, man. It's legit. It's a really fun group of guys. Uh, and we have a lot of fun just kind of crapping on each other and and uh, tossing ideas back and forth. And during the game, it gets super excited. I just love it. I spend way too much time uh, over there in that Slack channel. And I honestly... Uh, have made a lot of friends guys I've never met in real life but just they're they're friends of mine and I talk to them all the time so it's a really cool unique community that we've created and kind of a safe space from Twitter man Twitter can get pretty nasty sometimes and people start coming at you and I feel like the slack channel you can kind of put your takes out there and we might dog on you a little bit but nobody's gonna like attack you over it sure and I'll tell you more than any other week I'm looking forward to Eric Turner's breakdowns I really want to see how this offensive line is looking in his eyes at guard yeah. and at center. You know how these guys are, how you mentioned Deion Dawkins. I want to know how he's looking. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing what he thinks of Duke Williams game. Again, I know he's the fan favorite. I want to see an expert kind of break that down. I'm really, really looking forward to that stuff this week. It's going to be good stuff. I'm sure. Yeah, this is going to be a fun week because Eric has a little bit more time, too. So we do some of that uh, same type of thing that the team does, which is like self-evaluating where we can go back and look at the season, the totality of the season to this point. And usually the bye week's a little further along, uh, so it takes a lot, a lot longer. So I think we'll be able to show a pretty be- pretty good look of where the team is at so far and maybe some of the things they need to improve upon. Or often what Eric does for me, at least, is show me that a lot of the things that I think are bad aren't as bad as they seem when I'm watching it live, which is really nice and reassuring uh, uh, to have that type of person out there that can kind of put to rest some of your worries and say, hey, guys, it's bad, but it's not as bad as you think. You do the podcast, the Cover One Pod with Greg Thompson. Isn't it more fun to do the show when you win? I don't care. You know, I know you're supposed to be a little bit unbiased. You got to be able to talk the good and the bad and kind of keep a level head when you're doing a podcast, a show. But don't lie, man. It's a lot more fun to do it when the Bills are 4-1 and than when they're 1-4. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and we deserve this, man. I've been doing this a while now, and I'll tell you what, it has been much better to do it after wins. I've come on to do, we do our show live, 
And so you have to come on right after the game. And I've come on after some really poor performances. Uh, the I want to say the Thursday night game against the, the Jets a couple of years. I had to come on and, and just talk to people that were just mad and angry. It's super hard to come on after losses. Yeah. Uh, but it's incredible when they're winning. Uh, when we, when we uh, beat the drought and I came on, I was crying on air. And just talking to me, I was just rambling on with people about it. So, yeah, no, winning makes this a lot easier, dude. Uh, there's nothing worse than games that don't matter in December and you have to get on and do a show about it. Yeah, I don't. You know what, man? I don't think I could do a live show immediately after games, especially like last week. I literally needed about 24 hours <laughs> to calm down after the Patriots game. I was heated, heated. I was going to make yeah. a, a YouTube video because my show doesn't come out to Tuesday. I was going to make a live YouTube video and then I kind of stopped it halfway through. I said, this is going to make me look really unprofessional because I was so pissed off. But, I hear you, man. Follow Aaron on Twitter at AaronQuinn716. Check out CoverOne.net. Check out the podcast that you guys do. Again, you are alive after every Bills game. That's a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this, bro, as always. Dude, I always love coming on this show. I appreciate when you reach out. I I look forward to it every time. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast the podcast about broadcast. Every week since 2016, we've been bringing on broadcast leaders to talk about their experiences in radio, what they've seen, and where they believe it is all going. If you live and love radio, subscribe to the Sound Off Podcast with Matt Kundal wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thank you again to Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Always love having Aaron on the podcast. Great insight. All around good person. Enjoy talking to him. So thank you, Aaron. Coming up on the podcast on Friday, I'm going to be talking to a handful of Buffalo Bills fans who made the journey from Western New York down to Nashville this past weekend. How awesome was that, by the way? Seeing that on television, seeing the stadium, half of it, at least half of it was Buffalo Bills fans. Lots of tweeting and social media videos of Bills fans taking over Nashville. It was just great to see. And I'm going to talk to a couple fans who were down there and get their perspective on the weekend. I'll also be talking to Chad D. Domenicis, managing editor of Die by the Blade. We're going to talk Buffalo Sabres and the promising start that they are off to this season. Guys, if you haven't done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, you'll get new episodes before anyone else does. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. Future award-winning podcasts are found. New episodes every Tuesday and every Friday. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. I say it all the time. It only takes a couple seconds, and it really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. Also, we are on YouTube now. Different Analytics Podcast Extra exclusive audio content. You'll only find that content on our YouTube channel, so go on YouTube. Type in Analytics Podcast. Hit that little red subscribe button and the little bell next to it so you'll get notifications when new audio content is released. And then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guest polls, all kinds of other stuff on there. Thanks again for listening. I know it's cliche to say that, but I really truly mean it. I say it all the time, man. I, I, I appreciate each and every single one of you out there who take time from your day to listen to this podcast, whether it's once a week, twice a week, whenever. It means a lot to me. I'm very grateful, thankful, humble by all of it. I really am. So thank you very much. Have a good week, and I'll talk to you Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.